verse 8, when he's talking about the royal law found in Scripture to love your neighbor as yourself, he is almost saying, don't put yourself in the seat of the judge because that's not your role. That's God's role. So whether you're showing favor to Mm -hmm. the wealthy person or to the homeless person, it's neither one is the right way to go about it. It's just, you know that he says, if you break one law, you break all of them. So that's why Jesus gave us the new law. Mm. And in the new law, you don't, you don't sit on the throne of judgment. That's not your role. And so that's almost where like, that's the sin in it is when you put yourself in the role of God. Welcome to the Movement Podcast. My name is Becca, and I have the honor of being the content coordinator here at Crosspoint. We are so excited about this podcast as we study James together as a church. The point of this podcast is really simple. We just want to model what reading scripture together in community looks like and invite you to do the same with us. So if you haven't already listened to Annie's message from Sunday, you could listen to it now at crosspoint.tv slash watch now. Today, I'm joined by content pastor Josh and online pastor Paul, and we'll be jumping into a conversation about James too. Well, hey guys. Hey. Welcome back to the Movement Podcast. Hi. We're on week three, talking about James chapter two. My name is Becca Morgan, and I'm here with Paul Cavetter, aka PK, what and up? Josh Reed, our content pastor. <laughs> hey, hey. Um, and before we jump in, I just want to give some props to Annie because That girl had a lot of ground to cover, and she did. So, um, Annie, way to go. You really set us up easy for today. Yeah, no Um, doubt. With that being said, though, we do have a lot to talk about, talking about all of Chapter 2 today. And I think what will be really helpful as we dive more into this book is to just remember the why behind it, why James was writing it, and who he was writing it to. So, Josh, if you don't mind, Take us back. Give us some context. Who, what, where, why, when, all of the above. Yeah, no, that's a good idea, Becca. Um, the danger is always to get in the middle of something and forget the, the larger whole. So uh, James is the half-brother of Jesus. He uh, didn't follow Jesus when Jesus was walking the earth. He was like, not as dude's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but grew up in a very Jewish home with Jesus. So the, all the stories of the Old Testament were the stories that have shaped and formed his life and his culture, et cetera. And so in the resurrection, he sees Jesus like, oh, oh, this is real. You, you're really him. You're the, <laughs> I'm him. I'm like, you're the <laughs> Messiah, you know? And um, so Jesus uh, appears to over 500 people, and one of those people happened to be his brother. Yeah. And after he ascends to go uh, back to heaven to be with his father, Sends the Spirit, Acts chapter 2, Pentecost happens, Peter preaches the gospel, 3,000 people, at least 3,000 come to faith in Christ. And this church movement uh, bursts there in Jerusalem. Um, and James becomes one of the leaders uh, in that movement. And so uh, basically, starting in chapters 8 to 12, the gospel starts moving out from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria. And then uh, chapter 13, Paul and some of them take him to the ends of the earth, take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Well, James remains in Jerusalem. And as persecution is happening in the early church because of uh, the, the Roman leaders were persecuting and also um, some fellow Jews were persecuting this, what was perceived as a new sect or something like that. Right. Um, Jews were being scattered across the empire. And so it's around Acts chapter 12 to chapter 15 that this letter is typically dated, which is like 46 to 49 AD. 
And James is writing to particularly Jews that have been scattered about the empire. So he, uh, and he's writing to them about what it looks like to follow Jesus in the midst of that persecution and trials. Mm -hmm. And so it sounds, it sounds kind of like a sermon and maybe it was at some point, but it's, it's been put together in a letter that was distributed among house churches. And one of the key things that's happening in uh, the the new churches that are being spread about is there's Jews and now Gentiles who are coming together. Well, that was forbidden in the Old Testament, mm. but now what God has done in Christ has brought the two has become one, and he's made a way for Gentiles to enter into the people of God now. Yeah. And so this is all real time. That's not a super developed theology or anything like that. So for James, it's more sermonic, more story form. And so that's he's even going to tell this story in uh, this chapter He's going to use Abraham and Rahab as an analogy. Well, Abraham is like the father of the Jewish faith, and Rahab is like this Gentile prostitute. <laughs> and he right. uses them and like equates their faith as, you know, examples to mm-hmm. consider when we think about uh, one of the main things he talks about in this chapter. Mm. Yeah, that's so good. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, too, because they have the understanding of who Abraham and Rahab are. So they're filtering all this through their Jewish background as followers of Jesus now, which is so fun. That is. So this chapter is kind of broken up into two big parts. We have favoritism and then we have faith and work. So we'll start with favoritism because there's so many, there's so many different places and directions we can go with this. But I want to start with what James specifically is talking about in his description of favoritism. So how are you, how do you guys interpret that as you read it? Yeah. So he's, he's talking there about, um, you know, where you see somebody who is clearly wealthy, somebody who has influence and, um, you have a choice between seeing them and putting your attention in that person's direction or somebody who is clearly doesn't have the means to even clothe themselves you know, they're, they're rough looking, that kind of thing. And so he's basically saying, if you're presented with an opportunity to have a conversation with those two people, who do you choose? Mm-hmm. It reveals a lot about who you are in your heart um, based on who you have that conversation with, who you invite into community and into your life based on the choice that you make with the right. people that you invite in. Um, and I, I think that's a really like, um, it's it's a really tough thing to, um, to live it out, yeah. you know, to, to be able to see that, man, I, I'm supposed to equally show the love of God to, um, to both of these people. And so when presented with both of those people, it's how do you actually do that? Yeah. How do you actually love these people together? Not saying you shouldn't love rich people. You shouldn't care about them. You shouldn't point them to Jesus. Um, but it's so much easier to choose the person that's easier to love. I think is probably a lot of what he's saying. Yeah. It's yeah, and it's almost asking how how can you love the person that can't do anything for you? Mm. You know, that's like the real test of the heart is <laughs> not showing favoritism to the people that can't do anything to help you get to where you're going in life or help you take the next step in your career. In our prep for this, we were talking a little bit about celebrity and Nashville is a very connected city. There's a Mm -hmm. lot of people coming here to with dreams that they're chasing and make it big in Nashville, baby. People come to Nashville, yeah, to fulfill their dreams. And so just in light of that passage and the idea of celebrity and the culture that we live in, 
it really puts things in perspective to treat the, whether it's a Christian celebrity or a Miley Cyrus or whatever, to treat them the same as you do the person that is outside your car window asking for money. Yeah. You know? I remember growing up in Atlanta, there was a, there's a mall um, called Lenox Mall down in Atlanta. And I, I'll, I'll never forget, we had just left there for something one day, but we, we heard on the news they had shut the mall down right after we left because Mike Tyson and like his entourage were there and they like literally shut Iron Mike. The, Iron Mike. I mean, who's going to tell him? <laughs> like, he's going to be like, you know, you can't have the mall to yourself. Right. Like, he will blast you. you know? <laughs> he's got a tiger or right. something, right? <laughs> but, um, but they shut the whole mall down wow. for him and like 10 other people. Like, get out of the mall. Like, everybody get out. And so I was just thinking about that. I was, I was like, what a crazy experience that is. Yeah. Like, how they, sh- like, how the world, the world does this. Like, we want to, we want to make, make this space for you because you're, you're really special or whatever. You're, you're famous or you're, you have a lot of money or whatever the case is. But like nobody would do that for the guy who slept in the dumpster right. in Lenox Mall parking lot oh, right. the night before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And so when I think about celebrity, like that's what I, I'm like, wow, man, could you imagine? And you hear all the time, like somebody's like, well, I, I wish I could just live a normal life. You know, a lot of times that's uh, yeah. we're talking about some of that, just like, yeah. People are like, I just want to live a normal life. Yeah. So whether they pursued it or it happened to them or whatever, that's oftentimes the case. Once something happens like that, people are like, man, well, and I think James is saying, like, that's the way the world operates. That's, we attribute glory to what you have. Mm-hmm. Like, that's your glory. Like, your glory is the sum of all your stuff, the sum of all your attributes. Um, He's like, man, that should never happen in the church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I should never. So a dude rolls up in like a 2023 Bugatti, you know, and then yeah. a woman shows up super disheveled. He parks that sucker on the front row too. So right. Can you it. park yeah. this for me? Yep. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. LA at yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but here's the thing. I was, here's the, here's the flip side of this though. We talk about it in this way, but what if that's the hardest person for you to love? Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah. I don't think he's saying don't love the wealthy right. people. Right. I think it's just saying like, the best way you can love a, a rich person or the best is like to treat people equally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So in your affection and your words and your time, et cetera. Yeah. yeah. And and he goes on in that chapter, verse eight, when he's talking about the royal law found in scripture to love your neighbor as yourself. He is almost saying, don't put yourself in the seat of the judge because that's not your role. That's God's role. So whether you're showing favor to mm-hmm. the wealthy person or to the homeless person, it's neither one is the right way to do, to go about it. It's yeah. just, you know, that he says, if you break one law, you break all of them. So that's why Jesus gave us the new law. Mm. And in the new law, you don't, you don't sit on the throne of judgment. That's right. not your role. And so that's almost where like, that's the sin in it is when you put yourself in the role of God, <laughs> yeah. you know? You be yeah. the judge. Right. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And I I think it's really, it it is like, again, it's easy to say it, but it's really hard to actually, to live this out sometimes. You know what I mean? Like when you're really faced with, in reality, a choice to, to, who are you going to love? The person that's, uh, that's easier for you or the person that's harder for you, you know? And I think that God's calling us to love them equally, like you're saying, Josh. And, um, but I, but I, I do wonder if, um, you know, if there's a way to help us to actually live this out, like, is there a, a tool? Is there a helpful, 
mentality, idea, something that can help us to say, okay, like whenever I'm faced with a, a circumstances where I need to, um, I need to love my neighbor as myself. How do I actually do that? How do I actually live that out in my life? How do I apply that in my life? Yeah. Well, I remember a sermon I heard one time, a pastor of mine years ago, and it wasn't on this text, but it could have been. Um, he was preaching out of Philippians 2, consider others better than yourselves. And But he started the sermon by saying, um, hey, who's the most important person in this room? And he just he kept picking at that question because it, and, cause what it did is it made you say, well, oh, I get it. I'm not the most important person in the room, right? Mm-hmm. And that was... That was an appropriate application. Yeah. But he was also picking at, and neither am I because I've got the microphone and neither is that guy in the room who you think and neither. Yeah. And so the idea is that if, if, if Christ really is the most important person in every room, mm-hmm. then that elevates appropriately him and his glory. Yeah. And then it puts everyone else in the right position yeah. in that. Um, because the natural response, the worldly natural response is that we do these kind of judgments. Oh, yeah. And so I just, I'll never forget that. And there's been seasons in my life where I've done this better than others. But like when you, every time you walk in a room, like, number one, I'm not the most important person in this room. Yeah. yeah. And neither is the next person I think of. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Well, That's so he, even like James is talking to an audience of people who are scattered, right? Right. They're, they're believers that were scattered. They're in other cultures. Their life could be on the line for sharing their faith in Jesus with other people. And so I, I feel there's like probably some tension in there where they would, you know, if I go and build a relationship with this person who can bring me safety, they can bring security, yeah. they can bring financial resources because I'm I'm just trying to figure out how to make my next meal and tell people about Jesus. Right. Like, um, so I can feel that there would be some tension with this audience that James was writing to. And so for uh, for them to actually live that out, I mean, what would that look like for us in in our world? Like, would there be, you guys have an example of, what it would look like for us to, to live that out, you know, cause I mean, they're trying to live missionally. They're trying to go and share their faith and they're like, Oh man, I got, I've got influence with this. Uh, I could get influence with this wealthy person and then it could lead me to mm-hmm. having more influence. Mm. Yeah. I think it's honestly a matter like you have to test your own heart and figure out what your motives are. But I think like, James goes on to talk about faith in deeds and it's an act of faith to trust God to give you the influence that you need in order to live on mission Mm -hmm. or whatever the example is for your promotion at work or you name it, whatever you it's a, there are opportunities that God can put in front of you that mm-hmm. you can take. But at the same time, if it, if you're put in the position to choose to take advantage mm-hmm. or to yeah. love the person in front of you, he's going to open the door. And I think it's the act of faith for you to trust that he's going to open that door. That's good. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. It's, there's almost a version of this in the church that, um, Sometimes maybe on the surface it could look like that's what's happening, but like I've experienced these things in like a group setting, mm. uh, church setting, small group setting, whatever the case is, where it's the community that comes around someone and helps meet needs, and then they contribute to the needs of, you know, a lot of times people who have been a benefactor or a beneficiary mm-hmm. of 
the kindness and generosity of others, they, be, they become a benefactor at uh, some other time. And it yeah. could be, well, and I'm, I think our natural reaction is to think about money, but it could be relationships. It could be financial. It could be like, I remember there was a girl in uh, one of our groups one time and there were several people that, you know, we, we were like, man, she needs a car. What, what are we going to do? And do we fix the one that just broke down or whatever? Mm-hmm. And, you know, through that whole process of praying and seeking the Lord, we were able to figure out a solution, but it wasn't because there was one rich person in there and, you know what right. I mean? She, yeah, and yeah. she didn't like seek out the rich person mm-hmm. to do it. It was yeah. like, you know what I'm saying? It yeah. was like, it was this community of people coming together. And I think that balanced out everyone in a real intangible way. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. That's really good. Uh, I think we could talk about favoritism for the rest of the <laughs> That's podcast. Right. Yeah, no. um, but I do want to get to the next part. So as we said before, he goes on to talk about faith and deeds um, why do you guys think that there is this desire in all of us to separate faith and deeds mm-hmm. when James makes it so clear that they're meant to go hand in hand? Yeah. I mean, I, I it's, it's tough to, um, I, <laughs> I, I, I grew up in, um, not a very, um, faith family. Like it wasn't a part of, uh, our conversations. We didn't go to church. One of those things. My, my mom grew up Catholic mm-hmm. and, and I re- remember some sense of an idea that I was, um, if I, if my good things that I did outweighed the bad things that God would love me, yeah, that God would show favor to me, that he would show kindness to me because my good things outweighed my bad things. And I, and I think that faith and works and um, is, is, um, it's easy to get them, uh, dissected from each other. Yeah. Um, and for us to be able to say the right things and say the, the, the churchy things, say the religious things, say those things that, you know, get people thinking maybe this is what your heart is. Um, but if you don't actually do anything with what you say or what you believe, then maybe you don't believe it. Yeah. Um, and so it's really one of those, those, um, those things that, that the more that those can be married together, mm-hmm. the more truer mm-hmm. we are. Yeah, right. for sure. Yeah. And this is one of the tricks. I think this is one of the great tricks that came in in Genesis 3 is that if you can separate truth and love, mm-hmm. faith and works, mm-hmm. then you can form sides. Hmm. Right. And that's what yeah. the enemy does. The enemy always tries to divide instead of unify. Yeah. What unifies is truth and love, faith and works, because it's taking God for who he is. And putting the emphasis of like your actions on what he has said. So I want to live out, God, who you, like what you've said, faith and works, mm-hmm. truth in love. And so it, the, the enemies of God don't care which side you fall on. Mm-hmm. You can be action oriented and not truth oriented, or right. you can be truth oriented and not action oriented. Yeah. And guess what? They often become enemies of one another, mm-hmm. yeah. which is the trick. Like that, then the trick's just played out in that capacity. Yeah. See what I'm saying? And so I, I love that what you're saying because this is what like James says it's actually logically inconsistent to be either right. of those. Yeah, yeah, that's good. And and I think where you can have faith without works is where you can where faith becomes just a, a family thing or just a culture or just a like something, something that you, inherit. you inherited. Yeah. Where it, it's just like a thing to to say yeah. or a thing to be a part of. But when it becomes, it moves from a thing that you believe and that you know is true to a thing that turns you to uh, a calling where you move in your life, you change everything for following Jesus. Yeah. You know, that's where, 
they they marry together and they live live out. You know, when right. you're on mission, the mission of helping people find and follow Jesus. You know, that's when we're doing what James is saying, right? right. Yeah. And and he says if you're just if you're just about the words, I mean, like we're talking about it on a podcast, right? right. You know, <laughs> but like. But if you're just about the words, uh, the message version says you're a dead corpse. Yeah. Like it's just, you're just, there's just, I know it's pretty extreme, but it's just like, man, it's like you're, when you have uh, faith without deeds, your deeds are dead, right? Yeah. And if you have deeds without faith, also dead. Also dead. You got a dead body, you know? Yeah. Right. That's why they've got to be married together that what you believe and what you say is lived out and there's action to it. I mean, you think about this. James literally saw Jesus live 33 years, and he was an absolute conundrum to everyone. Yeah. Because of this, he held firm to the Word of God. He didn't compromise on it. And he lived out this, like, radical love and self-sacrificial life that Mm. was like, what? I don't understand. Like There was something really different about Jesus that blew up these categories. Yeah. And so I, I really think he's ministering to these people that he's writing to out of that reality. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. the call to follow Jesus is something really different than your experience has been to whether you're just like all about, let's sit around and talk philosophy and right. let's talk theory yeah. and let's talk, or look, shut up. I don't want to talk about that. I just want to go do the thing, Yeah, you know? And he's like, man, like what would a thoughtful life that lives out in sacrificial love that's what the call is because yeah. we're called to follow Jesus. Yeah. To help it. others do the same. So I know the temptation for me is I know that I'm like believing a lie from the enemy when I feel like, oh, I haven't been spending that much time with the Lord recently or I did something stupid or said something stupid. So I need to like earn my way back into God's favor it's in those moments where it's like the Holy Spirit's like, no, you need to thank me for what Jesus did for you. And that's like the way that I've been able to self-correct. I'm curious, like what camps do you guys fall in, in that the works or the just talk about it? And how do you combat that? Mm. Like what our, our tendency is? Yeah. What's your tendency? And then yeah. how do you oh, yeah. fight it? That's good. I, I, I'll, I'll go for it. I feel like my tendency is probably to work. To be honest, I, yeah. I feel I feel really close to God when I'm doing stuff for Him, and uh, but it's real easy for me to outrun Him and be doing stuff in my own power and my own. So I have to course correct regularly to stop myself and say, you know, I'm not doing this for me. I'm doing this for Jesus. I'm doing this because He's called me to do this. Mm. There's no other reason. I got to back up and go where <laughs> and be a little more thoughtful, you know, and and yeah. spend time in conversation with people. And, and slow down in what I'm doing um, to be able to marry those two together. Because, again, it's real easy for me to, I'm like, yeah, James has got it right. You know, like, right. you know, he's like telling you, you're, you're, you know, you're, if you don't have deeds, but you have words, you have faith, doesn't matter, you know. But to marry those two together and to stop and spend time with Jesus yeah. and to really work on that relationship and to spend time with him because he wants to spend time with me. He wants me to stop working he wants me the the Mary and Mary and Martha story right. of of and and I am I can be all Martha. I'm like I'm I'm setting the table. I'm yeah. setting the table for you, Jesus, and I miss Jesus. <laughs> right. You yeah. know. And so um, I w- I want to 
be more like Mary. Mm. That's my my desire is to be more like Mary because my tendency is to be Martha. Mm. That's so good. Yeah. I think for me it depends. Josh is perfect, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly not. <laughs> Clearly my wife is listening to this like, nah. nope. Um, I think for me it depends. Um, so the reason I say that is if like I've done something and I know it's wrong or something's been revealed to me where, you know, Jay Sloan, my wife or one of the kids or something like, look, dad or Josh, you did something. This is, this hurt us. My temptation at that moment is to work, you know, to like, oh, well, let me fix, let me clean all that up real quick. Let me, let me fix it, Mm -hmm. you know, and do more works and do more works and try to pacify the relationship or fix it or appease it or whatever. And so that can bleed into the same Mm -hmm. vertical relationship as well. When things are good, the temptation is to just sit in the good, mm. right? And just to meditate on the promises of God mm-hmm. and the goodness yeah. of God. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so it just depends for me on like what, what it is. The temptation comes in both ways in different times. Yeah. Um, so I'm just a wretch cause I like both. <laughs> <laughs> both. <laughs> uh, but I mean, that's, that's the, you know, the goal, right? I mean, is to be where you can live out what you believe, you know, you don't, there's a, you know, we talked about a little bit last week of hearing and doing and, you know, when you hear and you're convicted and you know, the spirit of God is speaking to you and you're supposed to take action, like to, to close that gap, Yeah. you know, is, is, um, is really huge for us to yeah. try to figure out how to do that is to put into practice what we believe. Yeah. And I would just want to make sure we circle back to this. He lists Abraham and Rahab as like the two perfect examples of that. Can you, Josh, explain a little bit why? Yeah, why he picks those two. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think some of it is a real-time way of dealing with Jew-Gentile relations in the early church. But from a, like a thought, a logical thought process that he's working through. Yeah. um, He's giving examples of places where faith and works were married. Like that the works completed the faith. And so he, and he uh, in Genesis 15, um, God had given this promise to Abraham. In Genesis 12, God had given this promise to Abraham that you're going to have offspring and I'm going to make them a great nation and I'm going to bless you so that you'll be a blessing to the nations. That's the promise. Mm-hmm. So, God, so Abraham's waiting for a child. 25 years. Mm. Who's got that kind of patience to right. wait on God's promises? That's tough. 25 years he's waiting on a child. And so between chapters 12 and, uh, you know, 22 are all kinds of ways that Abraham's patience didn't play out. So it's not like Abraham was a perfect example. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. He's like, oh, maybe I'm supposed to go have a child with another woman. That sounds like a good idea, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. I love that he's included in the heroes of the faith because he R- still makes mistakes. That's right. <laughs> so, so, so why is he included in this example? Well, Genesis 15 says... He's having this conversation with God and God says, Abraham, I, I am your exceedingly great reward. Mm. I am. Mm. He's like, but what about this inheritance, God? Like if I die tomorrow, I'm an old man. If I die tomorrow, this servant is going to get my, my inheritance. And he was like, didn't I promise you go out to the skies and look up and count all those scars. That's how numerous your descendants are going to be. In chapter 15, verse 6 in Genesis says, And Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Mm. 
the question is, what is it? Mm-hmm. What's the it referring back to? Yeah. It's his faith. He believed God. So his right standing with God isn't his actions. It's his faith. Yeah. Because he believed that God's going to do what he said. Yeah. Now, how does that play out? Well, it's, it's always got to play out in real time. So seven chapters later, chapter 22, Genesis 22, he has this son with his wife, Sarah. His name's Isaac. This is the promised one that right. all the promises of Jeff, Genesis 12 and even before that are all coming into and they're located in him and God's like, hey, take him up on the mm. mountain mm. and offer him as a sacrifice. Abraham's like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> but he does it. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm reading into the story from our perspective. Yeah, yeah. But Hebrews 11 actually gives us, and Annie mentioned this a little bit, Hebrews 11 actually says, look, Abraham believed God. And there was something that happened in that Genesis 15 story that he's like, all right, I trust you. Yeah. That this is the one whom the, because then guess what? Him and his wife had a kid at like 100 years old, mm-hmm. 90 years old, 100 years old. So they're like, oh my gosh, dude, this is this is like legit. Mm-hmm. God's, God makes good on his promises. So then when he asks him this, it's this test, right? And Abraham takes him up on the mountain. And a- Hebrews 11 says, because he believed that even if he was to die, that God would raise him from the dead. Mm-hmm. Like that's the kind of faith Abraham right. had. Like, okay, I trust you. I, I trust you. And yeah. he didn't die. He offers a ram as a sacrifice in the thicket. And it's just, it's a beautiful story and there's no way to get into all of it. Yeah. But it's an act where his faith came out in works. Rahab is a very similar story. She hears that the people of God are coming into Jericho, are coming into the promised land, and that it says that their hearts were melting as they heard about the works that God was doing for Israel. And so she didn't have to be convinced. Like when she heard that, she believed that God is the God who... He says he is, what she had learned of him and the revelation that she had, she believed that God. Mm-hmm. And it showed up in hiding the spies that came to her home mm-hmm. when they came to spy out the land that they were about to come in and take. So that was an act of faith that played out in works that aided in what God was doing. Yeah. And so there and they're two polar opposites. You've got Abraham, who was highly revered in the Jewish culture and Jewish, and Rahab, who would have been the lowest of the low. Right. Mm. I mean, literally a Gentile prostitute. Yeah. Which just circles back to favoritism. Right. Mm-hmm. Like Annie said yesterday. Yeah. It's, it's, it's all intertwined. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. You just can't read this in section by section. You have to read it as a whole. The whole. Yeah. You guys, <laughs> <laughs> we have hit our time. Oh, man. There's still so much more to talk about. Um, but rapid fire. How can we walk away this week and apply what we've talked about today? I think closing closing that gap to what you believe and what you do. Yeah. You know, and, and um, you know, faith and works and knowing that they work hand in hand is uh, like like I, I share with me. It's like sometimes I've, I feel like I'm doing a lot of things, but, but I have to stop and remember who I'm doing them for. Yeah. You know, and so for us to um, take us, take us an account of ourselves and go, you know, what is my motivation? Yeah. What's my heart? What is my, is this my faith? Am I putting my faith into action or am I just saying that I believe it? Mm-hmm. What about you, Josh? Yeah. I, I think the big takeaway for me is, is whoever I'm in the presence of rich, poor, black, white, man, female, whatever, man, woman, 
it's like how do, how can I best serve and love this person regardless mm-hmm. of some of these other things, you know, that mm-hmm. um, because we have all these internal things that happen in us when we're in the presence of others. And I'm like, Lord, how can I listen well and love well in the few moments or a couple hours that we're going to spend together? And so I think it's just moving into those kind of uh, situations each week because we, we always land in situations with people. If I can move into that place with the, with the mindset of a servant, then how can I how can I serve this person? How can I minister to this person? Or or how can I receive from this person something that they need to bring to the table? You know, a conversation, input, whatever the case is, because that's a way to minister to one another. But but not show favoritism in that man. Yeah, that would be awesome. Yeah. yeah. Okay. How about you? What you got? What you got? Come on. You don't get out of this. That's oh right. man. <laughs> Running on the clock. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you. I think. PK, what you said about just checking your motivation. Mm. I think that's the best thing I can do is just, Lord, search my heart and know me and help me to let you move in and through me. I think that's what this boils down to for me, especially after sitting here and talking about the Bible for 30 minutes. <laughs> right. There's yeah. definitely a conviction in me to walk away from this table and, and go and be about the things that we just talked about. So, awesome. Thanks so much for listening. We will be releasing a new podcast episode the following Thursday after our Sunday message. And we really want to hear your input on how this podcast is going. So if you don't mind, take a few minutes to take our podcast survey at crosspoint.tv slash podcast survey. And three people will be picked at the end of the series for a $50 Amazon gift card as a result. Follow along with us at the reading plan at crosspoint.tv slash movement and on social at crosspoint.tv on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And we are so excited to see you back here next week as we talk about James 3.